you would open your Bibles to the book of John chapter 20. We're going to be in the book of John chapter 20. We've been going through the book of John just from chapter 15 and forward. And this is our second to last message in the book of John. So we're almost done. And things had been building towards a climax, if you recall. And the climax, of course, was the cross of Jesus Christ. He's been to the cross from where we are in the text. And he's risen again, praise God. And I think things are kind of coming to a close. The, uh, the, the main point of the whole book of John is being presented to us in these last few verses. And, and next week we'll talk about um, uh, what Jesus had to say to the church. He wanted them to follow him. We're going to talk about that next week. But this week I really think this, the whole gist of John, I, I, I hope that I communicate that well this morning because this is really maybe the most important message of this series. Um, and, and it's entitled, My Lord and My God, from the words that Thomas spoke to him. So let's read from this text, and um, we're going to read beginning in, ch- in verse 19 through the end of the ch- chapter. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus, and he stood in the midst, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said, uh, so said, he showed them uh, unto them his hands and his side. And then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other's disciples therefore said unto him, When they had seen the, uh, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the prints of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be unto you. And then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered, said unto him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs truly Jesus did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you for these words. God, we praise you for the book of John, that it is written, Lord, for our belief that we might see what is revealed to us through this disciple, John, through this gospel, and that, that we will see it with our eyes on, this, on these papers, Lord, but also that we will see it revealed to us in our hearts, and Lord, that we might believe, that we might have life, And that you might be, as Thomas said to us, my Lord and my God. God, I pray you be with me. Help me to get out of the way in this message, Lord. Help me not to be present 
But Lord, help you to shine and your word to shine. And Lord, I pray that the truths revealed, I believe, uh, in this passage, uh, God, while they're simple, I pray that you just allow them to change our life. We love you and we trust you. Pray for our church as we worship in Christ's name. Amen. My Lord and my God. Uh, If you would, while I'm talking, go to Romans 10. Keep your finger in John 20. We're going to be there. But we're going to spend a little time in Romans 10. Verse 31, John writes, he says, These things are written. He's talking about all the things that have been written, not just in these uh, the few words that we've read this morning, but this whole book, this whole gospel. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. I think the question we should be asking, I have two questions, two main points today. And the first question we should be asking is, how do we receive life? How do we receive life? I mean, you, you may be wondering if you've, you don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, I have life. I'm alive right now, man. We're talking about a different kind of life. Uh, Jesus came, it says in John 3, that he came So that all who believe, whosoever believeth shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is a kind of life that nobody has ever been able to get on their own. I mean, eternal life. Yeah, we we have this body and we live in this mortal realm and 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 we're tied to this mortal body and this mortal realm. And and but someday this body's gonna die. But I think you all know in your heart that you're not gonna die. It's within us that we are going to continue, that our life will keep going on. And there's, the Bible reveals to us that the world is divided into two groups of people, dead people and living people. I mean dead people who are walking around around us in this world right now. I'm not talking about dead in their mortal body. I'm talking about dead spiritually. They're eternally separated from God because of their sin. And, and so this question, how do we receive life? In Romans, uh, Romans chapter 10, I, I think this is one of the most powerful passages as part of the Romans road, which uh, you, you might have an opinion about that, and that's okay. Uh, uh, there's some mixed opinions about the Roman road, and it, it can be misleading if misused. And this verse is the same in verse 9. What it says in verse 9, Romans 10 verse 9, it says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I think if we're going to receive life, the first thing we must do is we must confess that Christ is Lord. I mean, this is what Thomas did. He said, my Lord, my Lord. Now, this isn't kind of a confession like a like to a priest or even to God of some kind of admission of guilt regarding sin in our life. No, this is a, 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 a confession, uh, an appeal to openly testify about the facts regarding Jesus Christ. And what are the facts? Well, we must confess that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is that Old Testament Savior that was promised. We must confess that the promise of salvation resides only in the person of Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Let me tell you, you can believe a lot of things about Jesus, and I would say that most of what the world believes out there is wrong. 
They believe he's a great teacher. He was a wonderful man. He, he showed us how to live and he, he, had a, he showed us how to die for a real powerful... No, that's not the truth about Jesus. The truth about Jesus... I mean, it is the truth. Don't, don't get me wrong. But more than anything, he is the way of salvation. In him alone can we be saved. And we, we have to understand this and not just understand it, but establish it and testify about it and confess it. We must reconcile this in our hearts and our minds that this is the truth. We must confess that that promise of salvation rides in the, resides in the person of Jesus Christ. We must confess that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, we need to know who he is. If you want to receive life, you must know who he is and confess it that to be true. You can't be wishy-washy of, well, yeah, I kind of believe this about him, and I also believe this about Muhammad, and I believe this about Christian, and I believe this about Buddha. No, 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 no. There's only one God, and it is Jesus Christ. In the, he's, he is God in the, in the flesh. 1 John 4, 15, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. We must confess from this own uh, verse, verse 9, that Jesus rose from the dead. Why is that important? Oh, because it changes everything. It changes everything. I, I, I tried to, uh, to share that with you last week. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you want to have life, if you want to be saved from this group of being uh, dead into the group of being alive, eternally alive forevermore, then you must confess that Jesus is the only one who can save you and that the reason why he's the only one who can save you is because he's risen from the dead. He has conquered death. If we can't confess these things, if we can't reconcile them and believe them, truly believe that they're true, then you cannot truly believe. If you can't say that you believe in your heart that Jesus was risen bodily from the grave, you cannot truly believe in Jesus. You will not receive life. So how can we believe these things? How can people believe these things? Well, verse 29 of our text, John 20. Verse 29, he's talking to Thomas. He said, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. You know, Jesus, what he's saying is, is that you're not going to believe by sight. I know a guy named Tom. I know some guys named Thomas. I don't know this Thomas face to face. I've never met him. You know why? Because he probably died over 2,000 years ago, or maybe a little less time than that. But he died a long time ago, long enough that I never had a chance to meet him. I'm not, we're not of the same generation of these men. You know, we're not of the same generation. And what Jesus is telling Thomas is that all the generations beyond uh, this generation, that generation that he's talking to right now, those disciples, all the people beyond aren't going to believe because they've seen Jesus like Thomas did. They're not going to believe because they could stick their hand in the side uh, of his body, uh, risen from the dead, but still uh, bearing the wounds of the cross. We're going to believe without seeing him. I've never met Jesus face to face. I mean, I know him and I've met him, but I've never seen him face to face. Praise God, someday I will. 
but I've never seen him truly face to face. I've never met anyone who has. I, I've met a, a man, I was uh, sitting, our boys are in Taekwondo, and I sat with a, a man and visited with him for a while, uh, who's all, whose son is also in uh, uh, Taekwondo with our boys. And, and, and he shared with me about his father who had this near-death experience and how he met Jesus face to face and what Jesus told him and all these things. I, my brother, I have a, a two brothers, and one of my brothers was going to do some dog-sitting for a pastor from uh, a former pastor from California who also had had a similar experience, had a terrible car accident and, and had a near-death experience and got to experience, uh, the, at least he got to hear Jesus' words in his ears. I, I've never had a near-death experience. And you know what? Our faith can't be in such things. They can't. I mean, they're interesting, don't get me wrong, uh, but, but there's no faith, there's no truth there. The only place you're going to find the truth about Jesus is here in the Bible. It's the only place. Romans 10. <laughs> you go back there in Romans 10. I've got to put my bookmark in here too. Romans 10. Uh, this passage doesn't stop with that one wonderful verse. It says, uh, in verse, uh, verse 14, it says, How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? Well, let's roll back again. Let's go back to verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For, with, uh, for the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." How then shall we call upon him? And uh, how then shall they call upon him who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that have preached the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Listen, your faith, your, your, the only way that you're going to be able to, leave, to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe the things that are said about Jesus, is through the word of God. I, I don't know if you're able to follow through all those verses and the, the logic that, that Paul is laying down, how we're to receive the gospel. But I hope you see it's through God's word and only God's word. Thomas had refused to believe the testimonies of the disciples. He told them, he said, unless I put my fingers in the prints of his hands and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. But you know what we have? All we have are the disciples' testimony. That's all we have. We have the testimony of John and Mark and and Matthew and of Luke. And we have the testimony of Paul these men have, have written down these words and they formulate God's word and they're, they're God's word, okay? But that's all that we have. We're not going to believe with sight. We're only going to be able to believe through God's word. Through their divinely inspired words, we can understand who Jesus is and then we can learn to confess the truths that bring us salvation. But once we've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and, and received eternal life, you know what else? There should be a change in our life. We should, be com- we should be committed to following Jesus Christ as the Lord. Uh, over 15 years ago, Melissa and I got married on June the 5th, 2008. 
She's not looking very happy about it right now. Oh, now she's smiling. There we go. And on that day, we, uh, we made some commitments that were not mere flowery words. We, we made some commitments that were not just thoughtful affirmations about our love for one another. We committed ourselves to live for one another, to love one another, and to support one another uh, uh, beyond just in word, in our life. Uh, uh, our, our relationship min- means something. I was gonna about to say meant something. No, it still means something. We're vowed to love one another no matter what to care for one another, to put each other first. And whenever we enter into a relationship with Jesus, it's not a mere intellectual exercise. Listen, when you trust Jesus, it should, it should affect a change in our life. In fact, uh, the opposite would be a, con- a confession without commitment. Well, I would say that's easy believism. I don't know if you know what easy, believe, uh, easy believism is, but I can wrap my mouth around that. Good grief. <laughs> it means that you're willing to just accept the facts about Jesus, but they really have no bearing on your life. There's a lot of people who, who have been told a lot of facts about Jesus and have been told if they'll just believe. And I believe that tr- is true. If you'll just believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. But it should affect a change in your life. I mean, the, the Bible says we're to repent from our sin. We're to turn away from our sin and, and, and point our life towards following him. We should commit ourselves to following Christ. There's two Thomas demonstrates two essential aspects of belief in Jesus. The first is that belief in Christ is relational. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus, a real person. Jesus is a real living person. And, and, and it should be a relationship that we have that's like the same relationships we have in this world, like the relationship I have with my wife, which is a real and intimate and powerful uh, relationship that's rooted in many commitments for, towards one another. But not only that, belief in Christ must also be a personal decision to follow. I mean, think about what Thomas says in verse 28. He says, my Lord and my God. I mean, that's personal. He didn't say our Lord. I mean, that's kind of personal, but it's not nearly as personal as mine. This is, he's saying that you are my Lord and you are my God. You know, this is the only place in the book of John where Jesus is, is uh, uh, talked about as being God. It's kind of interesting. But I love how it echoes John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Thomas, his confession, his, his confession that he's going to believe now, was wrapped in his commitment as Jesus to be his Lord. There's a lot of way we could, ways we could use the word Lord and the way, ways that he could have used Lord, but what he means is my master. You are now my master. Uh, Thomas is, is standing before the risen Jesus, and he understands that Jesus is the one who has the power over life and the power over death and has the right to rule his life. When you trust Jesus, when you confess Jesus, when you believe and you say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. You know, you're not just, 
making a mental assent to the facts that he was the son of God and that he uh, was the promised Messiah and that he is the only one that can save us and that uh, by believing in him we'll have eternal life and that he's risen from the dead. We're not just making those connections, but we're making those connections and saying because of these things, he's the only one who has the right to rule my life. And now I'm going to follow him and his rule over me. Is Jesus your Lord? I mean, how many people, there's so many Christians, many professing Christians view their commitment to Christ as kind of more like an affiliation. They just are affiliated with him. And when it's convenient to them and and when when it's a benefit to them, they'll share their commitment about their relationship with Jesus. But whenever life gets hard, what we find is that their, their confession was empty. When the circumstances of life gets difficult, their lack of faith shows. Their confession is proved to be empty. And just, they're just, we realize that they were just parroting some simple truths of the Bible with no plan to truly follow Christ. The book of John is written so that when you understand who Jesus is and that he's your only hope for a savior, that you'll realize that part of that hope means following him wherever he leads you. We must confess and commit. I said I had two questions. Second question I think we need to answer is this. Once we receive life, how then shall we live? I think our text reveals this for us. If you'd, uh, you can leave uh, Romans chapter 10, and if you would turn to Ephesians, just the first uh, couple chapters of Ephesians, we're going to look at a couple of verses there. How then shall we live? Well, the first thing I see is that we're going to live in a relationship with Jesus. <laughs> I, on the day that Melissa and I were married, on January the 5th, 2008, about two years too late, we entered into a relationship with one another that we will not share with any other person on this planet. What's hers is mine, and what's mine is hers. When I'm poor, she's poor. When she's rich, I'm rich. And and whenever uh, she's, her circumstances of her life are not what she wants them to be and she's struggling, then I'm struggling because the circumstances of this woman's life is not what she wants them to be. And, and, and I've got to be there with her. We're, we're tied together in a way unlike any other person I have with this, on this earth, even my children. I mean, my kids are going to grow up and they're going to move on. Yeah, Ben's all shocked. He's got his mouth like that. Yeah, you're going to leave, man. Okay, it's going to be great. Someday these guys are going to move on and it's going to be just me and her. I think it's no mistake that that the relationship that is expressed for us uh, with Christ in the Bible, for those that trusted in Christ, they're called the bride of Christ. It's because now our relationship is forever rooted in each other. (laughs) I mean, he saves us. From eternal damnation, I mean, our life is at least rooted in Him. And think about 
uh, the circumstances. I talked about me and her. When I'm poor, she's poor. When she's rich, I'm rich. Whenever her circumstances are rough, my circumstances are rough. Whenever uh, what's hers is mine. Listen, think about what we have in Jesus, okay? Jesus has life. We have life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you go through him, if you're attached to him, you have life. And we're not talking about this little measy life we talked about before. We're talking about eternal life. And it gets better than that. Jesus is risen from the dead. Ephesians 2 verse 1. If you, if you turn to Ephesians, Ephesians 2 verse 1, amazing verse. says, you have the quickened who were dead. In trespasses and sins. What does that mean, quickened? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Made alive. We're now made alive. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein the time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And he's raised us up together, not together, me and you, together with him. Me and you are raised with him. And he says, we're raised together uh, and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, when you trust Jesus Christ, your relationship with him changes everything. And suddenly, instead of your life, uh, you, you being relying on your own righteousness and your own uh, sin and, and your own works and all of that, uh, which will drag you into hell. It says you were dead in those trespasses and sin. Now you have eternal life. And you're righteous because he is righteous. Man, I, I, I'll be preaching on Ephesians pretty soon, so expect me to get a little more excited about this in the future, okay? Jesus, Jesus is risen from the dead. Now we have been quickened. Jesus has all power over death. We have no reason to fear death. Jesus is righteous because he has made, and he has made us righteous. In Colossians 2, and I'll, oh goodness, I'm going to read these verses and just hang on, okay? And I encourage you to go to Colossians 2, verse 6. And, and we read this this morning through verse 10, but I encourage you just write this down. You're going to go home and read through verse 15 and just meditate on these words, Okay. Colossians 2 verse 6, and as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man should spoil you through, vain, uh, through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Praise God, okay? Somebody give me an amen, okay? You are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein you also are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you... Being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together, there that word is again, with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, 
which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross and having spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let me tell you, whenever you trust Jesus Christ, all that is written about your sin and all the, 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 the legal case that is against you in heaven, all of your wrongdoings are expunged and you are standing before God complete, righteous because of Christ. Your life is forever changed. Uh, This ought to change us. This ought to be at our very core. Jesus has eternal life, and now we are in Christ. And guess what you have in him? Eternal life. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 3, and I'm going to try to Stop preaching on Ephesians real quick. But he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And then those last two words tells us exactly where. In Christ. Once you've believed all of these things, it says all spiritual blessings, not just like a selected few, all of them, we all receive it in Christ. Now we are all to live Christ all the time. Uh, our, our entire existence should be swallowed up in our relationship with Christ. Our, our, everything is by him. Everything is for him. Everything is with him. It should be our life. It should be our relationship with him. But not only that, uh, will we live in a relationship with Jesus? We will live on mission for Jesus. If we go back to our text in chapter 20, uh, at the very beginning, when Jesus uh, showed up and, 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 uh, and they were all afraid. Uh, look at what he says to them. Verse 19, he says, peace be unto you. And then he said in verse 21, peace be unto you as my father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained, not because of any power that was in them, but because of the power that was in him to forgive sin. Uh, uh, He puts them on message. We have been commissioned to take the message of the gospel to all who have not heard it. And he's sending us in the same way that he was sent. I mean, it's, and it's showed right here in this, in this passage, we're sent in the obedience to the father. That's what Jesus was doing. Okay. Even so he said, uh, uh, as my father has sent me, so send I you. He was following the Lord's uh, uh, commands on his life. He was being obedient to the Father. We're to be obedient to the Father. And and then he breathes on them and they receive the Holy Ghost. So we're we're to be empowered by the Spirit. So we're we're on this mission. We're commissioned to share the gospel in obedience to the Father, empowered by the Spirit, and to share the message of salvation. That's the pattern for all true ministry, by the way. Uh, Obedient to the Father, empowered by the Spirit, because this is a supernatural mission. And so we need supernatural power to do it. Oh, we can't do it in our own strength. I try all the time and I fail miserably. I'm bad at it on my own. Uh, but when I depend on God, man, is it good. Not only is, our, is this our commission, it is the one thing in your life that will bring you true joy and significance. I mean, Jesus has put us in a, a like-minded body of believers so that we can band together. Hey, we're not just here to meet on Sunday morning so you can hear me fuss at you and yell at you and jump up and down while y'all are trying not to fall asleep. We're banded together to do something amazing. 
to serve God's purposes, to live for something beyond our own uh, 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 feeble, empty life. What an amazing honor to be Christ's ambassadors and to be a part of the greatest institution that the world has ever known, the church. We're part of the, if you're a member of this church, you're part of the greatest institution that's ever walked, that's ever been established on this planet. You may not think it's the greatest. We're working on that. Because we got to keep seeking him. But what an honor to be his ambassadors. Many of us are happy to stand. Uh, I was thinking about this, uh, how Jesus came to save us. Uh, Thursday, we went to the beach. Thursday, Melissa played hooky and so did the boys. And we went to Galveston. It was great. They got all sunburned up. It was awesome. And uh, so we're going to slather them with all the good stuff right now so they don't hurt so much. But we were at the beach, and the, the waves are coming in. The, the ocean is no joke, right? Like water's scary, okay? <laughs> water is a scary business. The, the waves are coming in, and what do the boy, Ben and John want to do more than anything? What do y'all want to do? Jump in those waves, man. Jump in those waves. Go out as deep as they can, and then jump every time a wave come in. Try not to drown. Okay, and I'm a dad, and uh, I'm a dad who loves my boys, and man, I thought about the undertow. I thought, man, if something sweeps them out, okay, boys, y'all can only go this deep. I was, they went this deep, and Ben lost his, son, his glasses. Um, praise the Lord. I say that with a smile. But if they were to be swept out, you know what I would do? I'd go right in. With no thought for what, uh, what, my life, uh, uh, what might happen with my own life. Because I love them. I'd do anything to save them. And if they're going to die out there drowning, then I probably was going to drown with them. But that's what Jesus did for us. I mean, think about what Christians, so many Christians are happy to stand on the safety of the beach and say, hey, you're going to die in hell if you don't believe in Jesus. But what did Jesus do? He, he dove into the waters and he swam out to us to rescue us. This mission is, is real. And we're to do it as Jesus did it. Last thing. We will, uh, we will live in a relationship with Jesus. We'll live on mission for Jesus. And then we will live in the blessings of Jesus. Uh, if you go back to our text, verse twenty, uh, chapter 20. Verse 19, what is the first thing he says to them? Peace be unto you. Verse 21, then said Jesus unto them again, peace be unto you. Verse 29, verse 26, he says at the end of that verse, peace be unto you. And verse 29, uh, uh, there's an encouragement at the end of this words of Jesus. He says, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. So when you, when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you confess and you commit, when you, when you decide, yes, I'm gonna, I, I, I've talked about this, you know, jumping out of an airplane, if you have a, a parachute, you should put that thing on and snap it on. But to really commit, you're going to have to jump and pull the string. Okay? That's confess and commit. I mean, if you, if you jump, you've committed. Right? You followed through. You're going to do what he says. You're going to live as him as, with him as Lord. Uh, whenever we do that... We're going to have joy. When Jesus appeared among those disciples in verse 19, well, how did he find them? <laughs> Look at what it says. Being the first day of the week when the doors were shut. 
Hey, they were shut up in there. The disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. These guys had watched their Savior, the their, their one they believed was the true Messiah. And they were right, mostly, about who he was. And they got it all figured out at the end there. He was a different kind of Messiah than what they were looking for. But when they saw their Messiah on the cross, innocent, but seemingly in their eyes, helpless to defend himself, dying on this cross, they were terrified. And they ran to that upper room and they shut the door and they're hiding. They're trembling. They're, they're, they're terrified of what's going to happen it says, for fear of the Jews, but his presence, when his presence arrived, what does it say in verse 20? Then were the disciples glad. They were glad. His presence turns their fear to gladness. Their sorrow is now turned to joy. John 16, 20, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice and you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned unto joy. Jesus does the same in our life. There's a lot of sorrow in this world. Sin has has worked its uh, destruction in this world, and it brings sorrow to our life. Wednesday, we're going to experience some of that when we say goodbye to to Miss Glenda. It brings us sorrow. But you know, Wednesday, not only are we going to be just grieving and sorrowful for our loss of our sweet sister, we're going to be joyful. And we know right where she is. And someday, if you've trusted Christ, you'll see her again. And I love what he says. He says three times. What does he say three times? Peace. Peace be unto you. I couldn't read this, but help think of John 14, 27, when he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither neither let it be afraid. Listen. We can have peace, peace unlike you've ever experienced, peace that in the face of death, you go, I'm okay, because Jesus has saved me. These blessings don't simply mean that we'll be happy. It means that our situation with Jesus has eternally changed. We're not accepted by God, and we can receive grace and mercy as we see in Hebrews 4.16. I want to draw our attention just in closing, and I've gone over a little bit, and that's okay. John chapter 20, verse 31. I just want to draw our eyes right back to that verse. He says, these things are written. The verse before, he says, there's a whole bunch of other stuff we could have told you. But then he says in verse 31, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So my question for you this morning is, do you have life? I mean, you may be sitting here breathing and breathing the sweet air of the air conditioning in here. Do you have life? Do you have eternal life? Have you confessed Jesus and and understanding what he's done, committed yourself to him? John 3.36, one of the most simple verses in all of this book. He says, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. There is easy believism, which is just kind of like a mental ascent. But when you truly believe, 
changes everything. It should change your life. Do you have life? Maybe you do. I think it's likely most of you have trusted Christ. So then my question for you is, if you have believed, are you now living as you should live? I mean, that was that question, right? Once we receive life, how then shall we live? Are you living now how you should live? You know, many people who profess to be Christians miss out on the lasting joy and the peace and the divine blessings Christ came to secure for us. We miss it. Instead of pursuing those blessings, the promises that we have in Christ, we pursue empty substitutes in this world. I want to share one last quote from you. C.S. Lewis wrote a, 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 wrote a thing called The Weight of Glory. And in it, he said these really cutting words. He says, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. My mom, who's here today, told me when she was a child about making mud pies. I cannot think of anything more unsatisfying than a mud pie. I really like pie. I don't think I would like to eat a slice of mud pie, though. But are you living a life for mud pies? Or are you living a life enjoying the eternal blessings of Christ? Let's stand together.